Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31. Also put your finger in Hebrews chapter 8, because we'll be going there later on. Today's message is called the Covenant of Grace. Today we'll be looking at the Covenant of Grace. It's spoken of both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus our Lord in the New Testament. Now the promises of the covenant of grace are sure because our God is everlasting and it's ordered in all things by God who is from everlasting. He's God, supreme over all. And God's spiritual family are chosen in Christ in the everlasting covenant. The scriptures declare this in 2 Samuel 23, verse 5, Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things. And sure, David's writing this, for this is all my salvation. Well, Christ is all our salvation, isn't he? He's all our salvation. And all my desire, though he make it not to grow. And we know in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 7, the scripture declares in verse 22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, better covenant. And this better covenant is spoken of in Jeremiah 31 and in Hebrews chapter 8. It's the everlasting covenant of which Christ is the surety. He's the surety, the guarantor. The guarantor. See, we have a debt that we cannot pay. And our surety paid it for us. He paid it for us. And in the place of all his people. And it is the word of God. The second person of the Trinity. Who came to this earth. Coming to be savior of his people. Coming to purchase his bride whom he's loved from eternity with his own blood. With his own blood. He is Christ the God-man. Fully God and yet fully man. And he came to be the Savior of his people. He came to die. He came to redeem us from all our sins. He came to be our substitute, our surety, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The sinless one, the perfect one, the spotless one, dies for sin. Dies for sinners. And he came to be surety for his people, to work out a righteousness for us by perfectly obeying everything that God demanded in our place. To purchase us, to redeem us from our sins. To do that which is impossible for us and yet possible for God. 
We can't never save ourselves, can we? But Christ saves all who come to him. And when he bled and died on that cross, he died for every one of his sheep. Every single one. Who God gave him in eternity. And he gives them eternal life. He gives it to us. We're, 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 we're merely receivers of his grace and mercy. As we looked at in Sunday school, we are no different. We're born dead in trespasses and sins, and we're no different in that way than those who have received mercy. The only thing that has made us to differ is God from those who do not receive the mercy of God. We do not get what we deserve. We do not get what we deserve. We get mercy and grace because God purposed it. Never forget that. God purposed to show mercy and grace to you if you're one of his people. In eternity, he did that. In eternity. So let's read Jeremiah here with in mind, what a sacrifice. What a sacrifice. Amazing love. What a sacrifice that Christ should die for me, the believer says. For me. Every believer says that. For me. Look at Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I wasn't husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. There's no doubt there, is there? They shall be my people. And notice who's doing all the work. It's God. He's doing it all. Israel's just receivers of this grace and mercy. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them unto the greatest, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Note the words in verse 31. Claims, behold, the days come. John Gill brings forth that this refers to the gospel times. The gospel times. Being clear from the quotation and application by Paul. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 8 now. We see Paul apply this scriptures here in Hebrews chapter 8 in verses 6 to 7. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 6 to 7. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, and this speaks of Christ, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there should, be, there should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come 
saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. We'll look at chapter 8 of Hebrews a little further down in this message. But the words, Behold, the days cometh, saith the Lord, again refers to the gospel times, the times of the Messiah. It is introduced with behold as a note of attention. Take note. Take note. Pointing the covenant of grace, its blessings and its promises, pointing out the covenant of grace and its blessings and promises, which are all found in Christ. Wonder of wonders that God should make a covenant with sinners such as we. Wonder of wonders that God should make a covenant with sinners such as we. God says, I'll make, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. This new covenant is called new, not because it's newly conceived, but rather because it's newly revealed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen again to what John Gill brings forth by, about this covenant. It's meant the covenant of It's called new, not because newly made, for it was with the elect of Christ from everlasting. Not by types and shadows and sacrifices formally, but more clearly manifested under the gospel dispensation. It's the everlasting covenant, beloved. It's the everlasting covenant. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews 13.20. Hebrews 13.20. Hebrews 13.20. Now the God of peace that bought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. That's what it's called. It's called the everlasting covenant, the covenant of grace, the everlasting covenant. And it provides all things new for the believer. We're given new spiritual life. We're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. We're we're given a spiritual heart, a new heart. A heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. And we're given a new song, aren't we? And it's a song that the redeemed sing in glory. And we sing it here too. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. But we say right here on earth, worthy is the Lord. He gets all the glory. He gets all the honor. He gets all the praise. He saved me. He did that which I could never do for myself. He he redeemed me. He purchased me. He left the glories of heaven to purchase my eternal soul. This is what the believer cries out. And we say, as a result of all that, knowing that he chose us, that God chose us in, in, in eternity in Christ, knowing all that, we say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Give him all the glory. Give him all the glory. We know Christ is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's what the scripture declares. And it's his blood that was typified by the blood of the Passover lamb. All those living creatures killed for sacrifice in the Old Testament were by types and shadows and pictures of Christ. And his blood which would be shed for the everlasting covenant. This covenant was new because it revealed through the preaching of the gospel, a new manner more fully and particularly plainly and clearly 
taught that Christ is the substance of that which was typified in the Old Testament. They were but shadows. And he's the substance. You walk on a nice sunny day and, and if you're standing on one corner here and you can see somebody walking up, if the sun's hitting right, you'll see their shadow first, won't you? And then you'll see their substance when they come around that corner. All those Old Testament types were just but pictures and shadows. Christ is the substance. He's the substance, beloved. He's the substance. This covenant was new because it, it had no mixture of promises of temporal blessings because, based upon people's obedience because all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ, in Him alone. In Him alone. Let's go back to Jeremiah and read those, those verses again. We'll read verses 33 and 34, and then we're going to go right back to Hebrews 8. So put your finger in Hebrews 8. We'll go right back there. And that's where we'll be for the, for the remainder of the message. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it, on, write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. No more. Now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Let's read verses 1 to 7 here. Paul again brings forth that the Lord Jesus Christ is the high priest of a better covenant. And we see that the covenant that Jeremiah wrote is the covenant of which Christ is the high priest. Paul again brings forth the priesthood of Christ, Jesus our Lord, and how it is far superior to the priests of Aaron's line. Our Lord ministers in a better place, heaven, and has a better sacrifice, his blood, and has a better tabernacle, his body, and provides a better covenant, with better promises, which we'll see. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is sat on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mounts. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. This is speaking of Christ. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, 
which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there should, be, there should no place have been sought for the second. The priests of the Old Testament never came, never entered into the Holy of Holies without a sacrifice. And we know that their sacrifices could never take away sin. We know that. They were but types and shadows pointing to Christ. But Christ offers a better sacrifice. His blood. His blood. And he's both the priest and the sacrifice. And the altar. You can just keep going. It all pictures him. It all pictures him, but Christ offered a better sacrifice, his blood. The blood of the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And he alone is the believer's hope. He alone is our Savior and our Redeemer. Note in verse 6 that Christ has a more excellent ministry. He has a more excellent ministry. It says, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. So we see here that Christ has a more excellent ministry. Christ alone, again, is the one mediator between God and man. That's clearly brought forth here too, isn't it? He's the mediator. We know the scripture declares that, that there's, there's no other mediator between God and man but, but Christ Jesus. And he's a mediator, it says here, of a better covenant. And it says established upon better promises. Now think of this in light of a better covenant. The Levitical priesthood was a temporary and typical one. They pointed, it pointed to Christ. But now it's ceased. Now it's ceased. And in Christ, we have a full and clear revelation of the mercy and grace of God. Of the mercy and grace of God. That this covenant, the everlasting covenant, has better promises. The promises of the old covenant consisted mainly in earthly, temporary blessings, such as Canaan, a land of peace, plenty, and prosperity. Contrast that with the promises of the everlasting covenant in Christ, the promises that we receive are eternal, everlasting. And they all find their fulfillment in Christ and in Christ alone. It's all about what he's done. It's all about the fact that he went to Calvary and that he bled and died on Calvary's cross for the sins of his people. And so the promises that we have in Christ, again, are, are everlasting promises, eternal promises. It is he who has reconciled us to God. He did it. It is he who has brought us nigh. We were far off, the scripture declares in Ephesians 2. But he's brought us nigh, how? By his blood. He's brought us nigh into the presence of God. It was he who through the shedding of his precious blood on the cross that satisfied the justice of God 
that was against us. In the law which demanded our death. And Christ dies in our room and place to satisfy that law and to satisfy that justice fully. Fully. And it is he who makes us sons of God. It's a work of God. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And it is God who makes us priests. And this is a covenant, beloved, with better promises. <laughs> better promises. And it's the work of Christ and Christ alone. Look at verses 8 and 9 in Hebrews chapter 8. <clears throat> For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by their hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. So the first covenant spoken of here is the covenant of the Levitical priesthood made with Israel and delivered by Moses, which was a typical covenant. The people of Israel with whom it was made were typical of true Israel. Israel is a picture of the church, beloved. Israel in the Old Testament is a picture of the church in the New Testament. The blessings and promise of it, of the Old Covenant, were in shadows of good things to come. Just shadows and types, which again find all their fulfillment in Christ. The sacrifices of which which were, were mere pictures of, of Christ's sacrifices. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament, again, could never take away sin, but they were pictures of the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, they were shadows, and Christ is a substance. The substance. The mediators, the priests, because only the priests could go in the Holy of Holies, the mediators, they were the priests, the high priest, were just types of Christ, who is the one true mediator between God and man. They pictured him. So then the covenant spoken of in verse 9 was only typical, as the priests were sinful men. But Christ is the sinless great high priest. And he was absolutely sinless. And the sacrifices of a covenant spoken of in verse 9 were animal sacrifices and they could never take away sin. We know that. They could never take away sin. But our great priest is also the sacrifice. Our Lord is our high priest and he's our sacrifice, beloved. And he offered up himself. By the shedding of his own precious blood, he has purchased our eternal souls. Purchased us with his own precious blood. And as a result of his great work, we have an eternal pardon. 
Not a temporary one based upon what we do. Because that would never do anything, would it? We can't even get a pardon by our own works before God. But we are so forgiven. So forgiven in Christ that God finds no fault in us. That's amazing grace, isn't it? That's absolutely amazing grace. If the old covenant could have redeemed, there would be no reason for Christ to come. If the old covenant could redeem, there would be no reason for Christ to come. But it could not redeem. It was typical. It just pictured Christ. The one redeemer of sinners. I'll read Jeremiah again. It says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now let's go back to Hebrews. Chapter 8. And we know from what we looked at so far that Paul was bringing forth that, that Jesus Christ is the high priest of a better covenant. Of a better covenant. Which we know is the everlasting covenant. The covenant of grace. Now look at these words in Hebrews and we see that those words in Jeremiah were speaking of spiritual Israel, beloved. God's elect. Because we know again, we know so far Paul's been bringing forth that Christ is the, is the mediator, the high priest of a better covenant. Look at this in verse 10 to 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, say, or after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now let's keep in mind what we've just read about and what God would do for his people in verse 6. Let's look at verse 6 in Hebrews 8 again. But now hath he, that being Christ, obtained a more excellent ministry in contrast to the Levitical priesthood by how much he, being Christ, is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon Better promises. Better promises. So note again, Christ alone is the mediator of the better covenant, the new covenant, and it was established upon better promises. In verses 10 to 5 are five specific promises to God's people. Five specific promises to God's people which are established in Christ for the elect, and God's people have these promises not as things conditioned upon their obedience, but as accomplished by the death of the testator, the Lord Jesus Christ, the testator of the covenant, 
Christ and Christ alone. Let's look at verse 10 first. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. First promise we see in verse 10 is that the law, the word of God, is written in the hearts and the minds of God's born-again, blood-washed people. The believer in Christ can say, without hesitation, with my mind I serve the law of God. But we battle this flesh, don't we? We battle this flesh. Obedience is a characteristic of the believer's new heart. We love the Lord and we seek to please Him. But we know that our salvation is based wholly upon Him. And we rejoice in that precious truth. And also take note that the covenant of grace reveals that salvation is a heart work. It's a heart work. Note in this verse, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after the, those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. It's a heart work, beloved. It's not just a head knowledge of who Christ is. It's a heart work. God's given us a heart now for his people that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Who's our righteousness? Christ. So our heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness thirsts after he who is our righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't so before we were saved, was it? But it is now. Glory be to God, it is now. We hunger and thirst for Him, for Christ. Oh, it's wonderful. So we see this is a heart work. I'll put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. The salvation that is revealed in the covenant is a revelation of the glory and greatness of our Savior. It shines in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the law that is established in the heart. It's a principle of love. The standard of salvation accomplished by Christ and Him alone. The second promise we see here before us, and remember, Christ, this covenant is established upon better, better promises. And note who's doing all the work. God's doing all the work, isn't He? He says, I will do this. I'll put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Here's the second promise, though, before us. And this one will make the believer's heart fill with joy. Our God says, I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. In Jeremiah, our great God promised his people that he will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is God saying this. This is not man saying, well, I've decided to follow Jesus. Because we know that we never would in our natural state. But we know we're made willing in the day of God's power, aren't we? And then we do run to Christ, don't we? We do. We flee to Him. We run so fast to Him when we're born again of the Holy Spirit of God. We flee right to Christ. This is a work of God, beloved. But what a promise we have here. The God of the universe says, I will be them a God, and they shall be to me a people. 
And no, it's God who's saying this. We know the scripture says there's none that seeketh after God. Well, I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall. So we see here before us that the covenant of grace is certain, sure, and guarantees salvation to God's elect. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God and God alone is the Savior of His covenant people. Christ is the God-man. He came here to redeem His bride, to save His people from their sins. Peter says this, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Well, think of that. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. He called us out of that darkness, didn't he? Because we were his people from eternity. And he says in time, Peter says this, which in times past were not a people. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And all, all the, the believer in Christ say, I've obtained mercy. I've obtained unmerited mercy. In unmerited grace, in and through Christ and Christ alone. Oh, what a Savior we have, beloved. And look how sure this is. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. It's sure. It's sure. And what peace floods the believer's soul when we read these words. We see that God's elect are His special, peculiar people, distinct, chosen people. In Christ, chosen in Christ by the sovereign maker of the universe. Chosen in Christ by the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. And the believer says he chose me. My, what mercy. What grace has been bestowed upon the people of God. And God never changes. You ever think of that too? God never changes. So this promise is sure. It's Brother Tim read. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the one who says, I'll be their God and they shall be my people. That's sure. That's settled, beloved. That's settled. Oh, marvel at this precious promise here before us. The fact that God has fixed his heart upon you who believe from eternity. And all we can say is praise his mighty name. Praise his mighty name. Let's look at verse 11. We see the third promise from God to his people through the covenant of grace. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. We see here that the Lord God, the God of the universe, the sovereign God of the universe, promises to all his people that we know him. We know him. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Think about all that you know now about the scriptures, about who God is, 
about who Christ is. And think of all you know now that you never knew before. Think of how he's revealed himself to you now. Now, we may have read the Bible before we were saved, but we didn't know him. I didn't know him. I told you before, when I read the Bible before the Lord saved me, it was just paper and ink. I remember. I remember that day. I remember closing the Bible and saying, well, I've been getting nothing out of that. But now, oh my, I see Christ everywhere. (laughs) I rejoice over the preaching of the gospel, something that I never used to rejoice over. Is it so for you? That's amazing grace, beloved. That's amazing. You know things about Christ now that you never knew before. That's what the Scripture says. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. So we see here before us that God's covenant people are taught by God of who he is. He teaches them. He teaches his people who he is. He reveals Christ to us. And it's a revelation of God, beloved. It's a miracle. And the scriptures here declare before us, they shall teach no more every man his his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest, saith the Lord. All who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God are taught by God. Are taught by God. They are taught, what are we taught? We're taught to look to Christ, aren't we? We're taught the things of Christ. We're taught who he is. We're taught what he's done. We're taught where he is now. He's in glory. And we're taught that all spiritual blessings are only found in him. We're taught that salvation's of the Lord. That there's no hope outside of him. We're taught these things by God. And we believe, don't we? We've been granted faith to believe, to rest and trust in Christ. Listen to what Brother Tim James writes about this verse here. It says they will, he says, they will, they will not have to be told to know him in the sense that this is something to be strived after or to be accomplished by human endeavor. They will know him by the power and authority of the mighty Savior. Tim goes like this. I, like, I, love, I love Tim's writing. It's a done deal. They will know God. End quote. And that's truth, isn't it? We know him. We know him who we never knew before. He's revealed himself to us. Let's look at the fourth and fifth promises of God to his people here in verse 12 now. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now remember, Christ is the mediator of a better covenant with better promises. What we've seen so far is a lot better promises, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. We see here that our great, sovereign, majestic God promises to the elect of God, those that he chose in Christ, that he will be merciful to their unrighteousness. That he'll be merciful. He says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. What a promise we have here. 
What a promise we have before us. We who are the people of God know that we're unrighteous by birth, don't we? We know we're unrighteous by nature. And we know that in our natural state, we're unrighteous by our deeds and our acts. But what a promise of forgiveness for the born-again, blood-washed believer here. This is a promise from God. A promise of forgiveness, beloved. And God is just to do this based upon the redemptive accomplishments of His blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on Him alone. And on Him alone. What a declaration is here before us. And what a declaration will follow as well. But what a declaration here before us. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. What a salvation the believer has in Christ. Now look at the next declaration. And this is better promises, beloved. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. No more. Look at this fifth promise. And remember, this is brought forth by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. We saw it in the Old Testament, and now we're seeing it in the New Testament too. And we know it's only through Christ and Christ alone. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Brother Tim James says it's not like God gets amnesia. It's not that. They've just been put away by Christ. They've been absolutely put away by Christ. This is metaphoric language. He, he's, put, he's put away their sins and iniquities. And he uses metaphoric language when he says they're, they're cast behind his back. That's what I meant to say is metaphoric language. When it's cast behind his back or when they were in the depths of the sea. But this, this is truth proclaimed right here by God. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Marvel at these words, beloved of God. We who are unrighteous by birth and nature, sinners by birth, nature, and choice, the people of God, the blood-washed saints of God, God says to them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. What peace the believer can find here. What rest we can find here from this fifth promise brought forth here. We struggle as saints, don't we? We struggle as saints through this world. We struggle with sin. But the scriptures declare here, for the struggling saint of God, that in Christ, God will remember our sin no more. Because it's bought and paid for, Go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Two chapters over. It's done. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 to 18. Whereof the Holy Ghost is also a witness to us, for after that he had said before, and see, notice who, notice who said this to us, 
The Holy Ghost. Right? He's the author of Scriptures, beloved. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. Will I write them? And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now we're remission of now where remission of these is, there's no more offering for sin. The precious blood of Christ has washed the believer from all their sins. And there's no more need for an offering of sin. It is finished. Wonderful words, beloved. Finished means finished. It means accomplished. It's perfect. There's nothing to be added to that perfect work of Christ. And the Scriptures boldly proclaim here, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that's God who says that to His people. That's God who declares that. Oh, is this covenant not a covenant with better promises, beloved? <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? And it's all based upon what Christ did. All on what He did. It's God doing all the work in this text. All of it. Hebrews 9.12 says this, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Having obtained eternal redemption. Never to be, never to be repeated. It's done. It's eternal redemption. So God says because of that eternal redemption, because of that great sacrifice of Christ, for whom he died, for the people he died, God says in their sins and iniquities, well, I remember no more. What grace. What mercy is this? Here's another quote from Brother Tim James. He says, The Lord God has promised that He will remember their sins and iniquities no more. There is a wealth of peace here in these words. God has not developed amnesia. This is a declaration, a declaration that the sins of His people, according to His strict requirement, have been put away. Hallelujah. What a Savior, eh? Put away. Put away. We have good news. <laughs> the believer. Is it any wonder the Lord told the, the demoniac, go and tell the great things the Lord had done for you? That's what we do, isn't it? We just tell people the great things the Lord had done for us. He's done all these things for us. Isn't he wonderful? He's a wonderful God. Oh my, what a merciful God. In light of this, let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. And we'll come to a close here. Galatians chapter 3. And rejoice, you who are the born-again child of God. Rejoice in the fact that your sins and iniquities God will remember no more. No more. Galatians chapter 3. Let's read verses 10 to 14 here. Rejoice, you who are born-again child of God. Rejoice, rejoice. Look at this. Verses 10 to 14. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Man wants to live under the law, he's got to do every single thing. No one can do that. No one. No one. 
For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are contained in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law, very clear there, in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What a Savior. What a Savior. The Word of God brings forth that the believer in Christ's sins are put away by the sacrifice of Christ. Put away. He made such satisfaction in pain for the sins of his people that they are never, and let this sink deep into your soul, beloved of God, that they are never, and they never will be, laid to our charge. That's amazing grace. That's amazing mercy. That is a depthless ocean of mercy, beloved, for undeserving sinners such as we. And this is why we say flee to Christ. He is the only hope for sinners. There's no hope outside of Christ. So, beloved, are these not better promises that we've looked at today? Is this not a better covenant than the first covenant? And we have all these promises we've looked at today, beloved, in Christ. In Christ, in Christ alone. All glory, honor, and praise to our great God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Your Word. Oh, what a... What wondrous things we've looked at today, O oh Lord. We see that the salvation that you provided is all the work of thee, O oh Lord. Planned and purposed by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God, and executed by all three. We glory and marvel, we who are your people, that we were included in this plan of salvation. And we marvel, as we've read the scriptures today, that you remember our sins no more. They've been so put away and satisfied by the sacrifice of Christ that they're gone. Hallelujah. What a Savior you are, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.